Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day, and I hope that daylight savings uh, last weekend or the weekend before didn't knock you around too much. I can say for myself, I was happy to get that extra hour of sleep. Now, just before we get into the episode, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Firstly, I wanted to announce the winner of our Good Hustle book giveaway. Barbara Curtiel, I hope I said that correctly, will be receiving a signed copy of The Good Hustle by Polly McGee. So look out for that one soon, Barbara, and thank you, Polly, for providing that excellent book for us. Now, secondly, we have transcribed our first episode. We put it to a vote on our Patreon, and the lucky episode is our conversation with Amy Wheeler. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes, so you can take a read of the entire episode on our website. And I just wanted to quickly thank our Patreon supporters for enabling us to be able to do that. Thank you so much. Now, just so you know, you can still book into Amy's workshop, Assessing and Balancing the Human System, which will take place from August 9th to August 11th in Melbourne. Joe and I will both be there, and I am really looking forward to it, so hopefully we'll see you there. And again, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. So on to today's episode. This week, we have a recorded conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and the amazing Emma Kenner. Emma Kenna is a globe-trotting hoop dance teacher from the UK who also happens to hold a PhD in immunology. And we'll talk about how she went from one career path to the other. It's a great conversation. And we'll learn all about what set her on the path she's on today and what it's like running a business where you are essentially the product. Emma has lots of great advice, which would definitely apply to yoga teachers or anyone else who is running their own small business. All right, this is more than enough from me. Let's get on to the conversation with Emma. We are recording. Huh. All right. Well, thank you so much for meeting with us today, Emma. So good to have you here. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could perhaps tell us just a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Yep. So, hi, I'm um, Emma and I'm from a small, smallish kind of town in uh, England called Corby. It's an old steel town, so it's like... Uh, it was, everyone lost their jobs the day after I was born, which is a bit crazy. Oh, wow. So it was an interesting kind of place to grow up, like a very uh, sort of vibrant town that sort of uh, had the proper crash in the 80s. And, oh, wow. Uh, but um, I was exceptionally lucky, like my parents were awesome, and uh, I never knew that we didn't have huge amounts of money, and we were really, like, good, actually. And I was quite a shy little kid, but uh, other than that, which you wouldn't imagine now. I know, you've really blossomed. <laughs> <laughs> meets me, wouldn't imagine that now. But yeah, it was great. Corby was cool. I mean, for me, I never knew any difference, so it was fine and good and all that, yeah. <laughs> nice. So how did you discover hooping? So hooping for me was a lot later than most human beings. Like when I was a little kid, it was definitely something that I totally couldn't do. And uh, I was definitely more of a... I can't sort of little kids, you know, like things, if I couldn't do them, I'd be like, oh no, I can't do that, I'm never going to do it again, I'm just not the sort of person that can hula hoop, I'm not the sort of person that can handstand, that sort of thing, and then as I sort of got older, that just sort of continued, but I got into hooping through poi, actually, so I started doing poi, which is chains with either fire or normal balls on the end of them, and you sort of spin Sounds them around. Sounds so hardcore, yeah. <laughs> 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 like chains with fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
me because it was all from the sort of festival scene. I saw it at like a at Glastonbury Festival, which is like a huge music festival in the UK. And I was completely obsessed with these people. And my friend came over to me. This is when I was like 19. And my friend came over to me and just said, Emma, why don't you just learn how to do it? And it was like light bulb moment, like, oh, okay, fine, oh, amazing. Because I'd just been sitting watching these people do this for like two days. Oh, like, just being like, doesn't yeah. matter that there's like, you know, amazing acts on. All I want to do is sit and watch these crazy fire people. And the next year I was in the fire circle doing Whoa. it. So I was like, oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but it's amazing, you know, it's one of those things, again, like you're looking at something and you just make the assumption that you'll never be able to do that. So you don't try it. You know, and that's something that is that's that's changed at that point. I think. Well, maybe not at that point, but I think the second time that happened was with hula hooping. So I was about twenty-seven, and I was at a little festival, and I was teaching poi to get a free festival ticket. That's what I did. I wasn't really doing it so much anymore. I just got, I just really wanted, you know, to get into these festivals for free because I had a real life job, and you know. It was like my holiday. So I was doing my poi teaching and there was a hula hoop teacher right next to me. So obviously everyone wants to do hula hoop. No one wants to do the spinning ball thing, you know? Like everyone's coming, oh, hula hoop. So I'm standing there like, why is no one doing my thing? And the girl that was doing the hula hoops called Anna Drury, who's a performer in, from London. And she basically was like, Emma, why don't you just try it? She was like, just try it. Just try it for about two days. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. And this is a very, for the people that don't know about the hula hoop world, basically this is a really common thing when you teach beginners hula hooping. You'll always have the people that just won't pick it up and try it. They're just like, no, no, I'm not doing it. I've never been able to do it. It's not for me, you know. And I was definitely one of those people, 100%. And so it took about two days of her persuading me and just watching everyone have such a good time. And then I picked up this enormous... 44 inch massive hoop which is i don't know do you do metric or or centimeters yeah yeah yeah. sorry weirdos i don't know why we still do that it's completely (laughs) ridiculous but anyway it's a huge hoop like really like you know nearly up to my neck Mm. and uh so when you put it on the floor in front of you and then i span it around and could do it first time because obviously uh, if you don't know try a bigger hoop guys try a bigger hoop (laughs) it is the key it's the key to everything and i just basically spent the next three days standing with this hoop at my waist and just trying to persuade everyone else to hoop so i was like a hoop teacher from the start from day one and then so Anna was selling hoops, but they were £20, which is crazy because that's actually really cheap for a really nice material wound hula hoop. But I was in this mentality of, oh, I'm not paying £20 for a hula hoop. That's loads. Oh. And uh, so I didn't buy one then, which was a real shame because actually I was really, you know, I was loving yeah, it. And all I wanted it. to do was hula hoop. And someone had managed to teach me how to lift the hoop above my head. And I thought it was like the most amazing trick I'd ever seen in my life. And I was saying to this guy, oh, you've been hula hooping two years. Do you think I'll be as good as you in two years? And he was like, yeah, I barely do it and I can only do two tricks. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, I should remember that now sometimes when I'm worrying about like how good I am, etc. how good it looks like when you first start. Yeah, so I didn't buy a hoop because I'm an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> and then I made one for myself like two months later and it was two inches smaller, so six centimeters smaller, and I couldn't do it, couldn't do it at all. I, it was really hard, and I realized like the magic number was this like massive hoop. So then it, was, it wasn't until the following year that I actually bought these massive hoops online. That cost me an absolute fortune, but I loved them to death. Like, and then I literally hooped them to death. They fell to pieces by the end. They were like these um, connectable ones. And that was it, I just hooped every single day, whenever I could and just 
completely got obsessed and nice. it was good. You're saying it took a while to get you motivated into, into picking up the hoop. When you teach other people hooping, do, do you think that's sort of given you any strategies on how you might motivate other people? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I actually tell that story. And so when people know that their teacher, who's like traveling around the world teaching hula hoops, you know, was the sort of person that couldn't do it until they were 27 and they had a big enough hoop, then that's a big drive. It definitely works. I think when you come from that mentality, it makes it easier to explain it to other people. I think if you've just been doing it since you were a kid, people can't relate to you as much. Whereas as an adult who started hooping when they were an adult and then took it on from there, it makes a difference. And also I'm not tiny, tiny. I'm not like, I'm tall. I'm like normal sized. These people, they're like, oh, it's really good for your, for your abs. Yeah. And I'm like, uh. kind of yeah and it was at the beginning and I'm sure my abs are really strong but I eat a lot of cake it's definitely healthy for me in general but it's interesting like you know you you have these stereotypes in your head as a non-hooper and I suppose it's the same for yoga etc dance everything everyone's got this idea of what someone who is good at these things should look like and so it's nice to sort of be a bit different to that as well and I think that helps but yeah so good I can eat, keep eating all the cake yeah, <laughs> you're an inspiration to others yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. but yeah I totally like when you were talking about how not being I guess a naturally athletic or dancey person or whatever mm-hmm. I absolutely find this in yoga the best yoga teachers are often not the most naturally flexible and strong people because if all of it comes easily to you, you don't have any strategies. Like you haven't had to try lots of different ways Mm -hmm. and lots of different building block techniques to get to that place if it's just like, oh yeah, I just do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I think it's absolutely the same for hoop. And you get this a lot with people and I find this with some teachers and they're amazing hoopers and they are good teachers, but you know, they're telling a whole class to do something based on the fact that, that they find that easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of, this is actually something that I teach in my teacher training is to sort of find your superpowers. So whatever your superpowers are, uh, my superpower is I have really open hips, like randomly, like I can't touch my toes, but I can do like the butter, is it called the butterfly? And there you go, my yoga knowledge. Yeah, yeah. But that's been something, I sit like that comfortably and I've never had a problem with any of that. And so with some of the tricks where we put the hoop on the foot and swing around, I have to be really wary of the fact that that's something that I can definitely already do. That's something that comes easy to me and isn't a problem. And so I have to be aware that's a superpower. Okay, so just be aware when you're teaching that, that you need to think outside of that. And I also have very flexible shoulders. So again, there's some moves where if you're bringing the hoop over your head or coming down the back, there needs to be some adjustment for if you can't do it. And an easy one is I have a a trick called the toe spring. And I had no idea that people couldn't pick up things with their toes. Like, I genuinely didn't know that. Can you pick up things with your toes? Oh, yeah, yeah. I practice it, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. No, but some people just can't. Like, it's just, a, it's just they either have small toes or they can't do it. And it was when I was teaching that trick, I was like, right, guys, so everyone, I basically pick up the tube with my toes, put my toes on the top, and then flick it up, like, spring it up. It's great. It looks hilarious. Um, it's like, people are like, what are you doing? But I just did that naturally because I pick stuff up with my feet. But then lots of people can't. And it took being in a classroom and saying, everyone do this and realizing that half the class couldn't. But I was like, oh, okay, superpower, brilliant. And then we <laughs> had to learn some it. Foot drills. So we, well, actually, we just learned a way of uh, putting the hoop on the foot and pushing the toes in so that they could lift it up by 
Like, so instead of picking it up off the floor, you actually lift the hoop up and then push it between your toes. But anyway, it's, I mean, but it's little things like that. And that I think that happens all the time. And I think as a teacher, it's really important to be constantly aware. And I've been teaching now for what, like 10 10 years maybe uh, with hoop and longer with poi and obviously with science which is my background I was doing a lot of teaching there and you know I'm constantly learning how to teach better and uh, yeah just keeping my ego in check on my how good a teacher I am is very important and making sure that I actually yeah that I actually just keep progressing and keep noticing when I'm making mistakes and when I'm using my superpowers wrongly (laughs) I think one of your superpowers is that ability to be able to look around the room because the way you teach a trick is you'll show everyone you'll usually show everyone a few different options and then you'll be like right working on it on your own and you'll just like cruise around the room Mm -hmm. and I've noticed every time you come up to people, you'll just be like, all right, what you just need to do is change your angle of that hand or you've got it, now just do a little bit quicker or just Mm -hmm. like relax your wrists a little bit more. Yep. Did you have to hone your eye to Um, do that or is it just something that evolved as you taught more and more? I think it probably evolved. I'd love to say that like, oh yeah, I was doing that from the beginning and I was amazing and like, oh, it's just a a thing that I have. Just a synergy I have with my students. (laughs) When I first started teaching, I was teaching like 13 classes a week, you know, at one point when I first quit my science job and went into hooping I just went full on crazy I'm, I'm the sort of person that just overdoes it all the time so I'm like I'm not gonna start one class I'm gonna start 13 and, um, so do you like they weren't even classes that someone hired you for like it was 13 oh, no, classes that own. you got up off the ground yeah, right yeah, yeah. from the beginning and it took a while I mean that was like the end product of like that many classes at the end so it wasn't like that was the that's you know, what you launched as. That was, yeah. I mean, I, launched, I had three classes at the beginning that I did while I was doing my PhD and then, or postdoc. Yeah, PhD and postdoc. And then basically that sort of when I quit my job, I just expanded. And it was just a case of doing like another one and another one, another one. And then it just ended up like that. And I also had like 15 people doing classes for me in the same area. I mean, it was crazy. I don't know. I don't know what was happening. But I think that's the thing. I think teaching beginners, especially, is the best way of becoming a better teacher. You know, when I first started teaching, there wasn't, like, qualifications for, like, hoop teaching or anything. I think there was a few. There was, like, hoop girl and hoop nautica, but... It wasn't quite the style. It wasn't my style. It wasn't and how based I wanted in the States to teach. as well. Yeah, I mean, they came over and a lot of people did do their trainings, but I think it was more to have a piece of paper to be able to show gyms. And I just decided, well, I'm, you know, a bit like the hoop thing. I'm like, I'm not buying one of your hoops. I'm going to do it myself. And, you know, whether that was right or wrong, I don't know. And maybe it would have been quicker if it had actually gone to some trainings. But what I did in the beginning was just started up a class, but it became... I mean, my original class members would tell you, and I'm still really good friends with all of them. Like, they're all friends of mine, whether they hoop or not. And we used to just sort of like, I'd be like, right, we're going to do foot hooping today. And we'd all lie on the floor to put the hoop on our feet. We'd just be having a chat. And I'd be like, I think it's something like this. I think you put it on like this. And that's, <laughs> a, that's how I started teaching. And, you know, at one point we'd all be like lying on the floor and no one would be hooping. And we're all having a chat. And I'm like, guys, we could just go and have a cup of tea and you could pay me to like, sit and have a cup of tea. But I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people are there. And that's another thing I have to remember is people are there actually not just to learn things. Like they're there to sort of do an activity and be out and, and like interact with other humans that aren't their immediate group. And, and that's like the social aspect of, of a hoop class or of any sort of class is something that I like to try and keep in mind, which is why I try and keep it light, etc. But <laughs> to answer your question, I think it evolves over time and I've always done the 
play like explain the trick put a song on and then walk around the room while one song is on and it helps me with my workshop planning as well because it means I can be like okay so when that song finishes that's when I stop going around and I think that's really good and I think that also comes from I mean different sort of learners require different things and everyone's got a different problem you know and you, you can now these days I can look around a class and I can tell the person that does everything too fast straight away and because they just like going fast and they have to be told to slow down and pretty much I'll spend the whole class just being like you could just do that a bit slower it's perfect just do it a bit slower and it'll be easier <laughs> things like that and you know there's all these different I have these sort of archetypes or characters that are in my classes now. There's the person that thinks they can do everything already and there's the person that thinks they can't do anything ever but has the most perfect lines you've ever seen. Uh-huh. You know, there was a girl actually yesterday, it might be uh, Renee, I think her name is, but she's, she's lovely. She says she hasn't hooped for ages, but she had the most perfect lines for her roles I'd ever seen. But she's like, oh, you know, I haven't hooped for ages and I feel really out of touch with it, but actually... For me, looking at her, she was just so clean and everything was, you know, she would do everything straight away. And it's really interesting to see the sort of differences in people's, it's all mentality, really. I think the actual teaching of it with the stuff I teach, you know, I teach a lot of technical tricks and they look difficult and they look impressive. But actually most of it, as long as you break it down step by step by step by step, You don't need the muscle memory that you would require for putting the hoop on your body, at your chest or your waist or, you know, having four hoops on you. And I suppose it's the same for yoga. You do have to build up some strength and flexibility to be able to do the poses to their maximum. Well, can you ever get to the maximum, whatever? But I suppose it's slightly different for the way I teach because I do feel like the step-by-step process means that you don't need to have so much flexibility or so much well it's actually something that i really love about hooping as opposed to teaching yoga because yoga is such a lifetime journey a lifetime practice and it's not necessarily about achieving a certain shape it's a lot of it's about just tuning into your body and it's really gradual but hooping you can like learn an amazing new move in like 15 minutes and it goes from like puzzling it out and then once it's in your body, it's just like, bam, here's a new trick. Yep. And then everyone has their own flavor that they bring to it as well. So mm-hmm. that same simple move can look completely different depending on how quickly you do it or how much like swagger you put in or whether you make it really slow. Mm-hmm. So that's a really fun aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally love it. And I love the fact that you can take, because you can learn so much, you can kind of take the bits that are you and really make it your own very, very quickly, which is something that you don't get in other things. And I really like, so I think about this again, it's the science. If you think about the learning curve in most things, for instance, like guitar. I got a guitar when I was like 15 because, you know, Nirvana. And uh, I was like, yeah, brilliant. And I thought I was going to learn it. But you have to actually practice quite a lot to be any good and you know and it's quite complicated I mean it's not that complicated to do simple chords but it's more complicated than like you know a ukulele which is super easy to learn (laughs) which is my little love but yeah the learning curve is steeper and I think this is the same with when I go to yoga classes and I've got to admit I'm horribly competitive like (laughs) so it's probably good that I should go to yoga classes but yoga classes aren't good for me like in-person yoga classes don't work so much for me because I just find myself like comparing myself to everyone which I realize is a problem that everyone has but it puts me off it actually makes yeah, like, me this isn't relaxing yeah and especially and I think also because it's my hamstring flexibility that's so bad it means that 
down dog, which you do all the time, is literally the hardest move ever. And because people assume, because of my shoulder flexibility and my hip flexibility, that I'm really bendy, they'll like come up to me and try and like straighten my legs. And my legs are like practically on the floor, you know? (laughs) I'm like, I really am, like to keep my hips down, like to keep myself in the proper triangle, I I really have to keep my legs totally bent. The heels aren't going anywhere near the floor. Let's not even try that. But I've learned over the years that that's where I have to be. And so I suppose it has been good for me to sort of learn that it doesn't matter that everyone else is doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I can just do my own thing. But saying that, it still gets to the butterfly stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 and I'm like, that's not right, Emma. (laughs) Come on, come on, it's not yoga. But, you know, it's a long-term issue that I need to... And I think that self-awareness and learning about yourself and the workings of your mind is totally yoga. I think so. so. No, it's good. But yeah, it's... uh, uh, yeah, so hooping is quicker. It's a lot quicker and you can really express yourself very, very quickly, which I think is something that is harder in other forms of dance. And also, obviously, yoga is more about using the postures that are already a thing, you know, and they're already... They're, people have already worked them out. and you know, yeah, thousands of years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and they are... Yes, there is some variation and there's something, but it's not... It's a different thing, you know, whereas, like, I find with hooping... It allows me to, or it allows people to express themselves. With dancing on its own, you can express yourself, but it's terrifying because it's just like being naked, basically. Mm. <laughs> like, here, look at me. Whereas with a hoop, having a prop of any sort, it means that you can express yourself. You can convince yourself that no one's looking at you, they're just looking at the hoop. Because, I mean, we're all like a little bit exhibitionist, you know, especially when we're doing things like dancing and hooping. And sometimes I hoop 100% for myself, but really I'm also a show off you know and I think most people are and your fear of what it looks like even when you're hooping for yourself if you're in a public space is something that puts you off so I think it's really nice to be able to have that kind of it's like a safety blanket you know Mm -hmm. expression (laughs) like I'm just gonna use this thing and you don't have to look at me I'm just gonna swing this circle around especially if it's like LED or shiny I'm just gonna spin around it looks amazing Exactly. Hello, Ran here, just popping in for a quick reminder about our Patreon page. Now, Patreon is just a way for you to support our podcast from as little as $1 a month. Higher tiers get great benefits such as shoutouts on the podcast. And this week, I'd like to thank Sheila Belton and the wonderful Lucy Kanani, our latest two supporters. Thank you so much to both of you and to all of our supporters. We really appreciate it. Now, some of our supporters also get access to extra content. And speaking of which, we've filmed a short bonus video with Emma and that'll go up on our Patreon page in about a week or so. Also, we were able to transcribe our episode with Amy Wheeler thanks to our Patreon supporters and we are incredibly grateful. If you'd like to learn more, just go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast. I'll leave a link in our show notes. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Emma. It's kind of a really nice aspect of the hoop community as well because it's this in-between space, especially at a workshop or in a park or something. People are hanging out. I guess people are a little bit performing, but they're also just like playing together. And everyone's so encouraging. Like Mm -hmm. everyone really celebrates each other and 
it's very unusual in other movement styles to kind of just come up to someone and be like, how'd you do that? That looked really cool. And if it's a hooper, as long as you're not being rude about it, usually they're really excited to tell you and to yeah, teach yeah, you. For sure. Yeah, no, it's really good. I mean, I mean, the community is for me what's held me in hooping for the whole time. Like I go in and out of my actual hoop practice constantly. Like sometimes I'm hooping loads. And I, I would say actually these days, you know, it's been... 12, 13 years now and I, I mean I definitely shift out more than I shift into like a really regular practice but the community is absolute magic you know it's it really is even now with my hoopers that don't hoop anymore I still call them hoopers <laughs> but they're part of the community as a whole so yeah and this sort of sharing and and we have our problems there are parts of the community especially online because as is always like online is a much easier way to be horrible to people you know there are parts it's not all rosy there are parts where people are that's my trick that's this that's that and you can't do this and you can't do that and that person did this and but I, I think overall, as you say, and especially in person, you very, very rarely get people being mean in any way or anything. Mm. It's just super nice and you can go up to people and if you get to a park and there happens to be a hooper there, which does actually happen these days, which is amazing, <laughs> you could go up to that person and you're friends immediately. That's how it works. And you're like, oh, well, that's nice. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, look, I've got... And, you know, for me, especially, like from a, the perspective of the community. I mean, I've been traveling with no home base for seven years and I stay with hoopers all over the world. So they've literally, the coop community has been my home for seven years and I've never felt uncomfortable. You know, I've always felt at home and these are people that I've never even met. So the first time I, I turned up in Melbourne, Jane Fondal, uh, who's a Melbourne hooper, she just turned up at the airport to pick me up. And it was like, I, we didn't really think about it, but we'd never actually met before, but we just sort of assumed we'd get on. <laughs> <laughs> and like recognize each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay, fine, yeah. We wear a lot of lycra and do the loops. So. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is probably gonna go well. But I didn't even, it's almost like I don't even notice that I haven't actually met people before. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird. And I think the sharing, the sharing side of things is really different and actually it's actually really different compared to what hooping was so hoop dance and what we do is very different to sort of the circus world of hooping and the performance world of hooping where actually it doesn't pay to teach your big tricks to everyone else from that point of view it makes sense not to teach and i think there is this sort of weird thing with the sort of hoop community and the serious performing hoopers where a lot of the hoop community think that these guys should share and these think these guys think they shouldn't share and I think it's really up to you what you decide to share and what you decide not to share and I, I feel like the circus me. people as well like their big signature moves are just going to be so hard that I'm not prepared to do the six months of training That's to get true. to the initial yep. stage yep it's very true I still can't do a four hoop split which is like four hoops on the body I keep telling myself I'm going to learn it because I'm like you know come on Emma you're a professional hula hooper you should probably know how to do that and I just just can't be bothered it's going to take standing in front of a mirror for ages and just standing still and just hooping constantly drilling those hoops oh, I'm just not a driller I'm, when I'm doing things over and over again I definitely just I sort of incorporate it into something so I'll put a song on and I'll be like okay I'll do it a few times and then I'll be like okay I'm going to dance okay I'll do it a few times okay I'm going to dance and so yeah that sort of level of on body or big multi hoops and the stuff you see on sort of Cirque du Soleil and like you know the big cabarets it's just not it's not my style it's not my style <laughs> I was wondering if we could backtrack a little bit so you did your PhD in immunology is mm -hmm. that right and 
I guess at the time you decided to move into hooping, were your friends and family a bit surprised or were they <laughs> concerned? Or um, Well, I think friends-wise were probably like, oh, Emma, what's she like? But yeah, I, I mean, for me, it, was, it wasn't meant to be a career choice. I actually was having, I was doing my postdoc after my PhD and I was in research and I just, my heart just wasn't in it, like at all. I mean, so my mum was very, very sick when I was, during my PhD and before that, she was ill for six and a half years and she died in the second year of my PhD, which is when I got into hooping. And I have to say, a lot of the reason I was hooping so much, I think, was the grief and just like, it was a good thing to do when I got home. So it wasn't thinking Mm. constantly about like the death and, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, hooping really got me through that period, but I was in the middle of my PhD, so I had to carry on. So then I did my third year and then obviously and then I did about six months of postdoc and whether or not I suspect I did my science my PhD for my mum you know I suspect what happened was that this is my post analysis is that you know my mum had to leave school very early she's very intelligent like she basically was pushing us about university and stuff like that and I'm a super nerd so like I'm like straight A sort of I'm really stupid with common sense and like stuff like that but I can pass exams I find like that works for my brain academia works for my brain so and my mum was always very like okay come on you're gonna you know you're gonna do this you're gonna do this and I suppose I just never really questioned it you know I just kind of went with it so when she died I thought I was sort of losing my enthusiasm because of the grief but actually I think it was because it wasn't for me mm. none of that was for me so and then you know I was working you know the level that you're working at you sort of feel like someone else could be doing a better job than me a hundred percent and then you start when you start feeling that it's just not it's not nice for your own self-worth mm. and it's also not nice to think that you're taking up that space and and the, the work that we were doing was for people that were going blind and I sort of feel like let someone else do that but I decided that I really loved the teaching I always really loved teaching like so I loved doing when I was doing my PhD we taught the we helped teach the undergrads and when I was doing my postdoc we had like a PhD group and it was I loved it, like absolutely loved it. And I thought, well, why don't I take a bit of time out and then get a job as a lecturer and just do teaching, like, or a little bit of research maybe, but I mainly wanted to get a lectureship. So my plan was never to quit my job and become a full-time hula hooper forever. It was basically, oh, well, you know, I've got, maybe I'll take some time out because obviously, you know, my mum had passed away. I was like, I'm just gonna have a year off. And luckily my partner at the time, he, he was really supportive and he said, look, you know, you can do this, like just see how it goes with the hooping. And yeah, that went, and then obviously like I stopped and it all went a bit crazy. But so when I quit, yes, I did have to call my dad and tell him, so dad, I'm gonna be a hula hooper. But there was the kind of side note that I will go back soon, you know, so. I'm just having a little break. Yeah, 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 I'm just a little break. But he, I remember he did say to me, he's like, Oh, so do you get to keep your certificate? And I'm like, your PhD. I was like, yeah, I'm still a doctor, Dad. He's like, all right, that's okay. (laughs) All right, brilliant. Yeah, I have to sign everything, Doctor Doctor Emma. Like everything has to come through as Doctor Emma Kerr. Everything to my dad's house because that's where my mail goes. And he gets really annoyed if something doesn't have Doctor on it. (laughs) I'm like, it's the only way I use it, so it's nice. (laughs) It's nice to put it on there. Just everything's got Doctor on it, and people are like, he's like my daughter, the Doctor. Yeah, exactly, the Doctor who's a weird hula hooper that travels the world yeah it's it's a nice story for the golf course I'm like I'm like definitely unusual but you were asking yeah so he was I think my family just always assumed like it's been very very difficult I think for my dad and my sister who is just 
you know they've been incredibly supportive mm. like the whole way they've been like that I can't fault any support that they've ever given me but I know it's been very difficult because I live a completely abnormal lifestyle mm. and that's very worrying for your family you know I travel around the world they don't know where I am well they do know I mean I ring them from every airport so that's my that's the rules so every time I'm leaving somewhere or going somewhere and I speak to them like every I'm really close to my family so I speak to them like every other day so but yeah they still I mean and I know they still find it a bit weird my weird lifestyle choices but, you know I'm the weird blue head take, so it's fine <laughs> I mean, it must be great just the fact that you're traveling around the world that must be pretty exciting for them yeah it is exciting I think it's worrying I think for my dad it's right. quite worrying because it's you know he's he's but I've started bringing him to see me so that's been my last thing for the last two years I'm like dragging him along I'm like look this is what I do these are the people I hang out with and that's been really nice because have you ever made him come to a workshop no no (laughs) on my 30th birthday which was nine years ago now which is the last time he hula hooped we had one of these enormous like double hoops and I got him to hula hoop at my birthday and that was his first hula hoop oh nice on dad yeah yeah yeah, yeah, way to play the birthday card yeah 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 he did really good and I mean he's amazing he's just learned to swim at 70 so oh, he's wow. yeah like I always assumed he could swim when we were kids yeah. because, you know someone I just I think because he could always touch the ground and he does this thing where he swims underwater oh, so, so he I goes just, in the water but yeah, he couldn't actually swim yeah I mean he had to go in with me and my sister all the time to oh. all these like play parks and stuff and now I'm older and we've talked about it get a trout yeah I know <laughs> but no and he's learned how to swim at 70 I'm wow. so impressed with him it's like so amazing no it's really good and I've got him forcing him to come and visit me in places now so he's uh he's coming around to my my lifestyle and yeah and my sister's you know she's got a great job and and a family and she's at home and and I miss them all but they're uh, yeah they they find it difficult but I think they've never been anything but supportive and my friends just still think I'm crazy and then they all just hooped they're all like oh we'll come like so yeah everyone's been amazingly supportive and I'm I mean yes there was a lot of like you sure you're gonna do this when are you gonna go back what are you gonna do and I have to say a lot of their especially with the money side of things and the not having a pension and all that they're very valid points actually so I think when I first did it I mean I was in my late 20s or whatever when I gave up my job and I think you sort of think you're a grown-up and actually no wasn't actually (laughs) so I was like no I'm fine I can do all this and I'm fine and gonna have Get loads of money and loads of classes. Get get famous at hula hooping, and then actually, like, and you kind of did. Well, okay, <laughs> famous at hula hooping, fine, sort of. But like the, but with the money side of things, I mean, the struggling artist thing is real. And uh, it wasn't until I sort of added more things into my repertoire and had more sort of started selling clothing and all this stuff on top of it that actually it took me out of this constant being worried about money side of things. And also, you know, not having a house really makes a difference. A lot of people I know that do this job, they also have to pay rent because they have lives in a certain location. Mm. Whereas for me, I because I travel, I don't have that expense. So that's a huge, that makes a huge difference on like your yearly outgoings. Although traveling's expensive as well. Um, you say that, but if you think about how much the average person pays on rent, bills, like rates, everything, actually, it is expensive, but not as expensive. Actually, I'd say it's I about guess, even. I would say yeah. actually, that's what I would say. I think it's about even. If you really, it depends on how you travel. Yeah. That's what I would say, and it depends on how you live. You know, but I would say for me personally, 
the money that I spent on my rent living in Bristol, which is a really nice city in a really cool city, I wouldn't say nice, nice is probably not the word for it, but it's very cool. It's the it's the Melbourne of, of England basically. And that's you know, the money that I spent on my house there and then council tax and everything else on top is probably more than what I spend on traveling every month really but again it depends on where you stay if you're going to stay in Airbnbs if you're going to stay in hotels all the time which I do do occasionally because it's nice to have privacy sometimes but, <laughs> you don't always want to be on someone else's couch yeah yeah I'm really good at someone other people's you just pets and uh, people's rab- I've had rabbits on my head like, woken up with a dog sitting on my face because you're always in the cat's room you're always in the animal's room you're like you're staying in the spare room it's definitely always where the cats live so, and hoofers like cats actually there's a hell of a lot of cats in the uh, in the hoop world so yeah <laughs> so I think yeah traveling is expensive but as, as I say like often people say that to me like oh you know you're going to Bali you're going to do this and I'm like well you know and they're like oh the flight's so expensive and I'm like well the flight is like 450 pounds or something how much did you spend on rent this month and they're like mm. oh Point. <laughs> you must rack up those frequent flyer points uh, do you know what i really wish i did at the beginning and i've just started doing it last year and uh, and yes i do um and now i've got enough for a flight i have got enough for a flight to like america american flight and i've got i've got enough on Qantas for like half a flight to australia so i'm but i'm such an idiot i just it's one of those things and this is kind of this whole so I have this issue that I try and do everything myself so then things get missed. And I had look up air miles on my administration list for probably like four or five years. And at this point, I'm literally flying all the time. And what, what happens when you fly all the time and you're, and you're really broke is you take the cheapest flights. So a frequent flight only really works if you're flying certain airlines. So what I ended up with is signing up to every single thing that I could think of. And then just just notching on some bits. But what happened was I just, after three or four years, I actually looked on Upwork, which is a sort of, do you know about Upwork? It's no. A, it's a platform to find people to sort of do admin for you mm-hmm. and stuff. And you can find people that will do anything, mm-hmm. really. And you just put on a, a, you can do things, you can actually look for people and there's like CVs on there and find someone that will be your assistant. Or you can just put a job on there and so I was like right okay I'm gonna do it and I put a job on saying someone to search for air miles for me and it was my first experience about working actually it didn't go so well they sent me back I had a few people say that they were gonna do it I picked the person and they sent me back a thing it did go well they did say the right thing they said I should sign up for British Airways but I hate British Airways so (laughs) so I was like no not doing that and at the time I was seriously considering living in Berlin and I do live in Berlin quite a lot so I ended up signing up for the German one of the the Lufthansa one and I've got Qantas as well and they're probably the two I use mostly but yeah I mean it's so annoying again it's one of these like oh I really wish I really wish I'd just got someone to do that like got someone to look into it earlier and then I would have saved tons and tons of money but I didn't because I'm determined to do everything myself and this is something you know really working on let other people do the work that you don't want to do it's the new plan Mm, we were talking about this earlier weren't we yeah yeah and something i was mentioned earlier it's a real challenge when you are busy but you feel like you're not actually making enough money yourself to pay someone else to do part of your job Mm -hmm. how do you divide out the stuff that you do and the stuff that you delegate Mm -hmm. and take that leap well, one thing I'd say is don't leave it until you need it. 
like do it straight away actually if you know that you hate doing admin if you know that it's not what you do, you know everyone's like oh it's so, you're so lucky you do what you love and all that and actually I would say 95% of my work is sitting at a computer doing administration and I've got a PhD in immunology do you know what I mean it's like it's like I'm pretty sure I could I could I, I could be getting paid more than I pay myself to do admin for someone else to be honest so it's like this you have to start thinking like that you have to start thinking okay what what is it that I could pass on to someone who's actually likes doing this work for one and is also efficient at it and good at it and they do pay for themselves I think there is a risk of of overpaying like this especially these days in the sort of digital nomad era there's a lot of people who are like I can do this for you and I'm gonna charge you like you know a hundred dollars an hour to do this but I'm gonna and I think there's a risk there a little bit but part of me is you know, finding someone and just overpaying for something you don't Or like really taking need. on someone overqualified because they seem amazing where you don't actually need a digital marketing specialist. Mm-hmm. You just need someone to go through your emails yeah, and attend exactly. to the easy ones so, and pass but, the complex ones back. Yeah, so I think that's... And that's two different jobs. And so for me at the moment, I've just... I had I had a very amazing friend Steve who came on board to help me with my admin a long time ago and he didn't just help me with my admin he's one of my best friends and therefore he can tell me when I'm being an idiot so when he first came on board he literally was like you have no money Emma and he took my cards off me and he said like right you have to tell me if you're going to spend something and it wasn't that he was telling me not to but having that extra layer of like okay, I'm going to do this. And for me, it wasn't like buying cars and buying... What it was was setting up a class that was in an area where I didn't know if it was... I was, like, all excited because one person had said, ah, oh, let's set up this class and this... I, I come, I'll bring seven friends. And I'm like, oh, brilliant, that's awesome. I'm going to set up that class. And then you set up the class and that person meant, please set it up on that day when at that time when I can come and maybe I know some friends but I probably don't and maybe I probably won't even have time for this you know so and then you resent them because they've said that but actually you know you, you know we've you had were, that experience yeah, yeah. many times and yeah. I must say the people that are the most vocal about asking you to put on a new class are not always the most reliable at attending said class yep. I think it's like sometimes people really want to make this change in their lives mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah if you do this class I'll come every week and bring my seven friends yeah but it's almost aspirational for them rather than something realistic that they'll show up to every week yeah and I also think it's often an excuse like the people that want the classes actually will travel for them actually you know I've gone to classes really far away and lots of different things you know and you're sort of like if it's on the other side of town it's on the other side of town I want to go so you make that effort to go and and those people are maybe the people that maybe taking something to their area is worthwhile and yeah I think it's a and that problem of setting up being so excitable and so optimistic and so like oh everyone's gonna love this as much as I do and oh you're just like so excited and you you put on these classes and then no one comes and then that's that makes you feel bad and then you're standing there and you get a lot of personal practice time because no one's turned <laughs> in up. a room that you've hired yeah paid exactly to hire. exactly and this is i mean i think this is common across all movement of any sort of any classes at all and so that was something i kept doing and so one of the things that steve did having someone else to help me having to vocalize what i was going to do and him saying are you sure you i mean have you got the emails of the people that are going to come well no not yet <laughs> and just having that and then you're like oh okay so I'm doing that again you know just having that checkup. and I think especially when you work on your own it's just so good to have someone to 
speak to about that and what I find the most successful businesses in most things are where there's a partnership or a group of people doing stuff generally you'll find when there's an individual there's usually a partner or a friend or a or a work team behind them that are helping them with everything Uh, but you only see that one person and I think that's something that I really learned so Diane Love and Masao at Hoop Lovers are like I mean they're just the most amazing they're a power couple (laughs) I mean I just I'm totally in awe of what they do but before I sort of had met them properly I was also very jealous of and I just could not understand how one human being could get so much done and have it so professional and be so amazing and the whole setup was so incredible and I was just like wow like you know and that made me feel like I couldn't do that, you know, why can't I do that? And then I'm realizing, okay, they're a team and, and they're working together and they're, they're both working themselves to death. Like those, those guys work hard and they give so much to the community and help so many people. And, but there is two of them, you know, and that really makes a difference. And I think that's something that as a solo, as a sole trader, having someone, even if it's someone to help you with admin, someone to sort of sound off, especially I think if if you are in a relationship and your partner isn't your business partner having a second a third person that you can say your business means it keeps it out of your relationship as well because I think that's something that like can because I think every individual that is doing this needs to speak about it you need to talk to someone you need to write it down you need to like have someone to bounce ideas off or you just end up doing everything and not really yeah, and just being really put out because like your life's so hard because you're working all the time. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. And the thing with the with the getting help, as I was saying to you guys earlier on, I mean, like Steve coming on board was just, I mean, it really does change things. And he he had to stop because he was doing something else. And then I I just couldn't be bothered to train someone else. And I was like, well, I can do it all by myself. It's not a problem. It doesn't even matter. I, I'm I'm really good at this. And you know, it just feels. You know, I've ended up stopping sleeping because I'm, I'm like constantly, I've got this like, like seven email addresses and three Instagram accounts. My two of my Instagram accounts, I haven't posted on anything on them for months, you know? So it's, but, and that sits there in the back of my mind and I'm like, oh, you should have done this. You should, you should, you should. And those you shoulds just, just destroy you. So I think even if they're not, even if there's not like something distinctly stressful in, the, in the foreground you know it's it's there's always this background oh you should have done this oh there's always that there's always that there's always that so last week actually Steve came back on board and he's my friend and this is so this is just to say like I'm still learning I'm saying all this get help get help but literally it was last week he rang up and he was like right Emma you need some help and I was like yeah I'm fine I'm all right I'm all right and he's like what yeah, can I'm I do I'm just reprioritized I've given up sleeping and he's like no 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 I'm gonna help what can I do and I gave him like one little thing and he was like he did three things on that and I was like oh. and immediately I was like Oh, like mm. it was amazing like the difference just someone clearing like half of the emails on one of my email accounts was literally enough to make my shoulders go down you know yeah. and you don't even realize that you're getting stressed about this and there's the there's the idea of putting on other people and so there's the two I think the two problems for me have been I don't want to put on other people I don't want you know even though I'm paying them I, I don't know why but I feel like, oh, you know, it's my thing. Oh, no, you know. And then the other thing is sort of, it's mine. <laughs> you know, and that's the, no one else can do it as good as me. <laughs> and that may be true, but that's not, but that's not the point, you know. Mm. And actually giving up some of this stuff is really important. And we were talking about this earlier, like this idea that 
people the people that work for you don't have to do things exactly as you do them you know and your clients aren't going to stop liking you because you've got some help with admin you know and because you're not the one answering emails all the time and honestly if you haven't got time to answer the emails you're not answering them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, they're just piling up, making you anxious. Just a super quick email that's probably a bit wrong and a bit late. Mm. So it's actually that's not it's not helpful. Mm. So I think yeah, big lesson for me for the business side of things is definitely to outsource workload. And actually for me it's worked really well having someone who's a really good friend mm. to work for me. He's been really amazing and cuz just cuz my personal style and my control freakness means that if someone else said to me I can do this and stop being an idiot. I'd maybe be like, you can't talk to me like that. I would, but like, you know, I'd think that in my head and then be really nice. But like, I would, yeah, I'd be like, no, and then just do all this. the work yourself yeah, 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 anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. But, uh, but no, but Steve can actually, you know, cause he's a good friend of mine, he can really, he calls me out on when I'm being an idiot and like when I need help, which is nice. And he can tell, can tell when I'm stressed and stuff. But generally I would say with other people that I've seen, actually employing friends and employing that is often, you don't get the skill set that mm. you need from and it kind of makes the friendship a bit weird yeah I think it's I sell yoga clothing as well and I have a friend working with that and we've you know we've had to set very clear boundaries about what is our friendship and what is our Mm -hmm. what is our business relationship and that's an ongoing struggle you know because Mm -hmm. when someone knows you really well and they know that you haven't got lots of money they don't charge you as much for what they think and things like that like little Mm -hmm. things like that are a bit of a problem because then that causes a friction that might it may not be a friction but it could be a friction at Mm. some point so we're really really careful about making sure we keep personal and business separate Mm. so i think but it's probably a bit easier normally to employ people that you that are like you know you don't know but i guess if it's someone that you don't know and they're helping you with your emails you've really got to trust someone to let them into your email account because everything goes into your emails and then if they're doing like they're helping you with your banking stuff as well that feels like oh i think i'd want to know that person before i give them all those passwords yeah that's true but i think there's a i think for me it's easier, it's been easy for me because I do know them and trust them. So I can just be like, here, have access to everything. It's not a problem. Here's my Facebook, here's my this. And I do do that genuinely. I try not, to, I do keep myself pretty open. And then I'm like, don't open that email. <laughs> 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 no, not that one's not for you, no, but it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> But I think, I think you need to keep a, you need to keep a, I think if you're gonna do it properly, you should probably just have a very, this is the email address where mm-hmm business stuff comes through too and I suppose yeah and that is why it's so difficult with hooping because every single business email that I get also includes the friend pit the friend bit there's no because I am friends Mm. with everyone I work with and everyone I work for and pretty much everyone that I that I employ so you know all the hoop teachers that come in for my events when they message me about that event they'll also be like oh yeah and I saw so and so the other day and how are you how's this how's that how's the boyfriend blah 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 you know and that's what the emails are like and Mm. that's you know it's a very weird business work like there, there isn't a huge separation for me between business life in fact there's no there's nothing there's mm. nothing actually my current boyfriend doesn't hoop so it's and it's 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 like oh this is new like i've got like a, <laughs> and so it means that and i've been single for a really long time because traveling is easier with that so it's been a really interesting transition to have an actual personal life that isn't to do with the hoop stuff mm. so actually yeah that's a it's new for me and it's interesting as well because what uh, you said earlier that you're mm. essentially your product so yes. that must make it 
quite complicated in some ways. Yeah, so we were talking about this earlier and I think, yeah, like having someone be your spokesperson or whatever when you're the product is difficult. But in other ways, having someone promote you when you're the product is actually quite useful because it's very hard and I'm British you know it's like almost impossible you know I've had to learn how to be like come to these amazing workshops with Emma Kenner she's amazing and I'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) cringing inside oh no one said I'm amazing I can't handle it like it's just not in our culture to do that so I find it really difficult sometimes I'm a lot better at it now I have to say like it's it's just you know you have to take yourself out of it Mm. and just talk about talk about yourself sort of as a separate entity you know and that's kind of helps but it is nice sometimes to have someone else just like big you up yeah and you're like okay that's fine okay i can deal with that and like writing a workshop description or something that's one of those tasks that if it's flowing you can just bang that out in five minutes but if you're struggling with it that can take an entire day yeah, and then you're true. still not happy with it so yeah. Getting someone else to do it? Oh, I don't Fantastic. Know. Yeah, you see, I'm, I don't know if I could... I'm, just, I'm still hanging on. Like, you know, I, I don't <laughs> Well, know. you could always edit it when they've done it. That's true. But I don't even know how someone would do that for me. That's the thing. Like, so, yeah. It's like so much of what I do is just in my brain. And this is something actually that I'm trying to change now is because, I mean, you guys know, but I have like online workshops that I sell and I do a lot of online online tutorials and stuff. So with them, they're, they're great. I mean, it's complete passive income. It was a lot of work, like a lot of work. Editing and filming is not my forte. And, and so did you do all of that yourself? Yes, so I did. I filmed it all on a tiny little Canon rubbish camera on a cheapo tripod. And that's the thing. They're on sale at the moment, essentially because the quality of five, six years ago's cameras was so bad. I mean, it's it's worse than a standard can, camera phone. And so at the time, it was really good quality footage, actually. But I feel like now it's the content's still good. The content's still good. Everything about it is still good. It still works. It still does the job. People still get. I still get really positive feedback about it. But I feel really bad selling things for their full price when they they really do look quite dated. So my next plan is to try and get as much of my brain all the workshops that are in my brain. Sometimes I don't even have class plans. I just have it all in my head. So I'm trying to like put it all out of my head and onto video so that becomes like a resource that I can also I can monetize for one, but also makes it easier. And it also makes me easier to easier for me to stay in one place a bit more because I am getting to the point where you know, I've been moving for seven years. We've just sort of decided to sort of stay in Bali for a couple of years and I'll still be traveling a bit. And especially but that sounds like a pretty home. awesome home base. Yes, mm. I'm quite excited about it. It's somewhere that I'm I've been jealous. going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you live somewhere pretty nice, to be we fair. Do. We <laughs> do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a re- it's going to be a real change to do that, and that's going to mean less sort of traveling workshops and stuff like that. So it's it's an interesting shift. But again, when I'm doing it even getting help with editing I want to teach in so when I look at the videos I'm like okay it needs to be from that angle and then these people will need to see it from this angle and then I'm like okay and then I need to say this oh I forgot to say that in the video I need to say that on top so I'm not good at I'm not very good yet at filming and just filming it so that it can be just cut go they, they have to be quite heavily edited my videos so at the moment I can't get that much help with it 
So that means, and editing is like my least favorite job in the entire world. So next it's plan so is to try and consuming. yeah. So next plan is to try and work out a way that I can deal with having someone else help me with the edits. Or just a suggestion. Um, oh no, you might not like it. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing in someone else whose editing style you really like, so you have this fresh creative perspective on your stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you and all the things you've thought of. It's another person seeing your stuff and having that fresh set of eyes to be like oh why don't you try this instead or let's cut this like this instead no I mean it's good and I I think I I, yeah again I'm like I can feel my control freak going no no I want to do it my way and um but I need to get my teaching into the into the actual filming rather than putting the teaching in during the edit and I think there's a difference between like when I'm in front of people and I can say things and then if I've forgotten something what I do is I look around the class and I look at what people are doing and I can tell I can be like oh they're all doing that so that's what you know you know you're saying like I go around each person so if I when I go as I go around each person what you'll find sometimes is everyone's making the same mistake but they're not making the same mistake you just haven't told them the right thing so then I can add that to my teaching so I think that's something I do all the time but so when I'm standing in front of a class, if I notice when people are doing it that there's something that they're not doing, I can then add that in to my description. Whereas when I film, I, I say everything I can remember and then I look, it's only when I look back at my own video that I notice something that I'm doing that I haven't said. So then I incorporate that in and I can't do that if someone else is doing the editing. Mm. So mm. perhaps it's just I need to get better at the descriptions. Mm. Well, that right. is an interesting question about the difference between teaching for an online audience as opposed to teaching mm-hmm. in real life when you can see the people and respond to them. Yeah, I think like obviously real life is easier it just is, you know. Well, actually, I have to say, some things, most of the time, real life is easier. And partly that's, as you were saying, being able to actually go up to someone and be like, oh, okay, so watch what they're doing and be able to say, oh, okay, that's what you need. That's the tweak that you need to make that trick work. And everyone's individual. And my aim with my online stuff is to remember all of those tweaks that I said and say them all. And that's what I try and do when I actually explain the trick at the beginning. And I think that's what makes you a better teacher. You know, so it's it's working out all of the different types of learning styles, like the kinesthetic learners might need this and the and the visual learners might need this and the verbal learners need you to say this. And so I think it's a case of like constantly being aware of what those are and that then informs your online teaching. So I think the best online teachers are often the ones that are the ones that have had the most experience in a classroom but there are some things that are actually easier online so for instance if you've got the grip changes for instance so the the move called the fountain where you've got two hoops and you're moving them in a circular motion around your body and it's a very hard move and there's lots of changes you've got to change your hand from one side of the hoop to the other we call them grip changes and these can be quite tricky and they're in sort of very specific places now Yes, it's great having someone in front of you showing them to you, but if you've got a video where you can just repeat that over and over again and you can see in slow-mo where the hands are going, then actually that's a really good resource. Yeah, video Mm. is great for Mm. slow-mo. And I think that's something that you don't have for... Like, I try and slow-mo when I'm in class. Um, People find it funny as well, so that's good. But (laughs) so comedy slow-mo is always useful in in the classroom. But... um, but yeah, for, for it is useful with the online stuff. Things like body position are really, really difficult with online classes because most people like, for when you're teaching something technical, 
people want to be behind you in general. I know like the aerobics world and other places they do a lot of mirroring, but I find with hoopers, they find it, it's, it's really difficult. I think, I don't know whether it's because it's a prop as well, so you're not just following arms. It's, and when you're turning, it makes it really difficult. Most hoopers, I would say most people, like you to be the same orientation as them in front of them, which when you're in a video is really hard because if you're trying to show something in front of you, I think, whereas, you know, I can kind of be like this. I do what's called Hooper's Eye View, or I call it Hooper's Eye View for videos. So I do the view. I, I usually hold the camera in my teeth. It's like professional. <laughs> and I like this, like camera in the teeth. And I'm trying to show what my hands are doing from how you would see it. And I think that's something that really helps with my tutorials. And I, I know that people have been really positive about that because I think that's something that's missing because it's all about the angles. It's where you're showing it from. And if you are just showing it, I find this a lot with Instagram tutorials, like people just show something from the front and then they slow it down. And then you're like, what? I don't even know what happened there. And I'm a 10 year hoop teacher. <laughs> but people, there's also a lot of people online that really like to just, just copy. So they don't mind if you just do a quick show it once and things. But for me, I, I like every angle and I like mm -hmm. to do it from both hands. and. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And I think that is also the difference between a tutorial that you pay for and something you see on Instagram. Yes. Like that extra layer of detail. You're pretty famous for starting out Swoop. Am I yes. saying that right? Yes, like Swoop, a yeah. massive hoop festival. Yeah. And I guess launching a festival is something that we've kind of toyed with. Like, oh, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> and I know it's probably one of those things that looks like fun and excitement from the outside, but it's a whole lot of admin. A lot of work. A yeah. lot of work. And money. And money. <laughs> Have you got any advice to anyone thinking of starting a festival? Yes. Okay, so Swoop is Southwest Hoop. That's why it's called Swoop. Um, so I started it because we were at Manchester Hoop Congress, which is run by Gail O'Brien, another amazing hooper, one of the best. And she started uh, Manchester Hoop Congress after we'd been at the UK Hoop Gathering, which was the first ever hoop gathering in the UK by a hooper called Gemma Goddard. And basically, Gail, started, Gail was like, I'm gonna start one in Manchester. And we were in the taxi, a bit drunk, on the way back from like the party. And there was like a few girls from Bristol, like a load of us had come up from Bristol. And they're like, we should do, we should do, you should do this in Bristol, Emma. And I was like, yeah, brilliant. That'd be awesome, what? Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Let's do it in October, yeah. And we did it in November, because it's like the worst time of year in the UK. And everyone, and then one of the other girls, Gillian, she was like, she called it like Swoop Southwest Hoop. And we came, so she came up there in this taxi while, while it was, I was like, brilliant, yeah, and we're all like falling out of the taxi, whatever. Don't drink anymore, but I did then. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and then Sweet was born from that, and it was a monster. You know, I was the first flying in American teachers to like the UK. It was, and I, you know, I didn't go, you know, I had like 80 people and, you know, loads of teachers, and it is a monster. It is an absolute monster. And classic me, I decided to do the whole thing. I'm like, I'm gonna do it all myself. <sighs> and then I had the most amazing team, the most amazing team, I call them the dream team, that helped on the actual weekend. But because I'm me, and I still do this, I don't let people help before, then it's like absolute craziness. But I, I have all these ideas and I'm like, I wanna do this and I wanna do that and then I wanna do that. And then it's too much for one person. But it went really well, sold out in the first year, it was really good. We managed to have a house fire a week before the event. 
so two weeks before the event so we couldn't live in our house so oh my God. Uh, yeah it was crazy and I ended up getting impetigo which is like a staph infection of the skin because oh, I had no. like a fire burn on the back and I was so stressed oh. I was like scratching it so I was covered in like plasters do you call them plasters here oh, like, like band-aids, band-aids. Yeah. yeah so I was covered in band-aids and I couldn't work out why I was getting all these scabs everywhere and basically one of the girls that was there was like yeah that's impetigo Emma you can't touch anything so I wasn't allowed to do anything like I could oh. I had to have my own hoops everyone was joking that I had leprosy because like bits of me were like it was literally I had plasters on my face like wow. it was I, I mean it was really super stressful I'm not gonna lie but it was one of the most it's still one of the most amazing achievements that I have and I love it and it's you are not going to enjoy your own festival if you manage to do it so that you can enjoy your own festival you are a genius okay? <laughs> and but I think the people that generally can enjoy it are the people that have a team and I think my big advice would be again enlist help you know you do not have to do it all yourself it can still be your creative thing without it and I'm really you know it's been really nice like now Steve's doing a lot of the administration for it and then I've got my dream team went from six people in 2010 and it's my staff is now 40 people I think now for a 130 person event so that's how that's including like teachers and everything so the staff is huge for the event and I do other little events, you know, I've done lots of other little events. So there's like different levels that you can do, you know. So I'm running a little event called the Bath Hoop Day. And essentially all I'm all I'm booking is the teachers and a hall that has a PA system in it. And I'm booking a coach so to encourage people to take public transport. So I'm, I've got a, like a coach that's going from the train station to the venue. And that's all I'm paying for. So actually the, the actual sorting out it's not very much and the teachers are all UK based so they, they don't need accommodation there's no flights there's no nothing so and I'm paying them a set rate so that as an event takes hours and hours and hours less than Swoop but it's probably going to make about a quarter of the thing but Swoop I mean 18 for 18 months I'm doing a little bit of Swoop every day and then for the last bit I'm probably doing like but it's a yearly hours. festival right so yeah. you're already six months yeah I'm six months in advance yeah. I already booked my teachers for this year this year like half a year ago and I have to book the venue that long in advance because it gets booked up and so yeah it becomes a very it becomes part of your life actually like if when you're doing it on a yearly basis and I've had one year off since 2010 and I'm considering a year off next year because it's my 40th and I do it now on my birthday so this oh my is gosh. A, <laughs> well, there, there's a reason I do it on my birthday because it's the biggest collection. When you travel for a living, you can sometimes find that you're in a place, and I'm a big birthday fan, so if you're on your birthday and you're, and everyone's always lovely, like, you know, everyone's lovely, but realistically, they're not your best friends, and you're, you're in a strange city by yourself, and you're trying to ring your family and all that, and it's, I was like, okay, I need something on my birthday. So I, I shifted Swoop, like, a few months back so that it was on my birthday. And so now it's like my birthday party every year as well. <laughs> That's great. Nice. So, nice. But it's nice because I get to see it's like a, a massive collection of like all my all my really good friends and lots of like other people who are like, you know, going to be my good friends. So, yeah, it really works and it's really nice. But I would say workload wise, you will never know, like, especially if you're going festival, it's a lot. And I think a big thing I'd say is you don't have to implement all your ideas in year one. <laughs> That's the thing, because you you'll have thousands of ideas and Swoop has got better every year. And I've there's things that I wanted to do in 2010, but I couldn't, I couldn't do. But, and there's still this thing, I've wanted to use a projector 
to project videos, old videos, like the really old school videos of Hoopers that, oh, awesome. you know, that I got into as on, in the chill out area upstairs on a Saturday night. I've wanted to do that every year since 2010. I got to the point where I had, I've got the videos made up. I've lost that external hard drive now though. No. And uh, no, it's all right, I'll do it again. It needs to be different now anyway. It's like <laughs> years later. And then I, um, I, and then the projector didn't have the cable. I got to the point where I'd got the projector and I'd got the videos and then they didn't have the cable that connected to the Mac. And I was like, oh, well, I've got no time now. So this, this thing has been this idea since the very beginning and eventually it will happen, but I'm not gonna stress about it, you know? And I think like, we now have a marquee that goes in the garden so we've got a third space and that happened last year and that's been something I've been thinking about for like four years so this it takes time you know and you can always include new things you can start simple and then build up and see what works and that's the other thing you know I've seen a lot of it happen where people set up an event and they they spend loads of money on x y and z and then and they think they've done their market research and people have said they're going to come, the classic, but then people's lives are busy and hula hooping isn't always their main priority. Mm. You know, like things like rent sometimes come first. <laughs> For some people. I know, <laughs> hanging out with your children, like that sort of thing, you know. Some people think that's more important, but no, it's there. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, life changes, so you can't always depend on people. So I would say a really nice way of doing it, actually, that I've seen with a lot of people that are running events is... In introducing complexity as you sell tickets so for instance having two teachers at the beginning and then you know once you've sold like 15 tickets be like okay that's the point where I can afford to have another teacher and then you add that teacher and maybe that does help to sell a few more tickets but then you know adding it in and also it gives you something new to share in your social media so you can mm-hmm. keep talking about this same mm-hmm. thing but have something new yeah. and exciting to say yeah well I would say about this sharing on social media though the the feeling that you're spamming all the time does get like I feel like all I, I'm doing is give me money give me money and I'm not I, I mean I kind of am but I'm not like I, it's just that I've got a lot of things to advertise I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of things so you end up being like all I do is just everyone's just sitting there seeing all these posts but the way the algorithms work it's just not how it is these days and and I have so many people say to me, oh, I've not seen any posts about that. Mm. And I'm like, I've been doing one every day yeah, for two like, weeks. I feel like it's all I'm doing. And, and then, but they haven't seen it. So, I mean, this is something that I'm looking at at the moment, like how to engage differently as social media changes. Because mm-hmm. as, as Facebook is, is now a very different thing to what it was when I first started and I first learned about it. So I think staying current with that or paying someone that is current to do it for you is mm. is really important. And with the advent of Instagram as for us, for hooping, it's the it's definitely like the the thing. But I mean, it's very age based. So mm. the older hoopers who are like in their 40s are definitely or 30s and 40s are definitely still the Facebook crew. But the younger hoopers, whose incidentally parents who are in their 40s are on and 50s are on Facebook aren't on Facebook anymore obviously and for years I've been like oh I don't need to worry about that but actually from a business perspective it's mm. it's an interesting thing being being older and having to now engage with the younger generation who are on a completely different platform and then relearning that platform and not being the 19 to 24 age group that most people on that platform are is another challenge so and I'm sure give it another like few years there's going to be another platform that Mm. will be the main platform and keeping keeping up to date with that is either something you have to do yourself or again 
find someone to do it for you. Mm, Brilliant. Absolutely. This is great. This has been a learning experience. <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm going to go home and like, just, uh, just, just like work out all the people that are going to do all these jobs for uh, me. Oh, <laughs> so I'm going to help you with that. It's <laughs> clearly what I needed. <laughs> it's like a little therapy session there. <laughs> I think as well is that thing of like, you teach what you most need to learn. Yep. I was on another mm. podcast talking about starting a home studio and then I listened back. I'm like, man, you should take your own advice. Yeah. <laughs> you said a lot of sensible stuff. Yeah, well, I think that's it. You think it first, and actually, the implementation takes a little bit longer, doesn't it? If it mm. happens, it usually happens with me. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty on it. We could probably talk for another hour, but, <laughs> but, but just to um, wind things up, if you could distill everything you've learned over over your career as a hoop teacher and as a hooper down to one core essence that you wanted to share with the world, what would that one thing be? Mm. Wow, that's a that's a big question, isn't it? Oh, no, it's got to be one thing. Yeah, just the one. Yeah, we put the pressure on. I think, okay, so I think for me, as a hoop teacher, the thing that I gain most from is remembering what the people there need. Not thinking about what I need as a teacher, but actually thinking what does my class need. And I'd say most of the time that is a confidence boost or and the ability to get past this I can't attitude. And that, I think, is my... That's my aim in a class. My aim in a class is always to make people realize that things that seem unachievable are achievable because that's something that I learned through hooping and through poi and all this stuff and through my my life as a hoop teacher. And I think that's, yeah, making sure this is the same with performance, remembering that you're performing, that it's the people that want to see you do it. It's the, they're there to hear, to, to learn something from you. And I think that's a very useful thing to keep in mind. Is that, is that a reasonable answer? That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for oh, speaking with us today. It's been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our audience will too. Yeah. yeah. I think we have me. some strategies we need to implement in our own business. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Well, me too. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Yeah. And then we'll listen to the episode and we'll... Yeah, then we'll be like, oh yeah, I was going to do yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed our episode with Emma. I certainly enjoyed our conversation and look out for her bonus content on our Patreon page. For our next episode, we speak with Melanie McIntosh. Mel was one of my teachers and mentors during my yoga teacher training at Australian Yoga Academy and she specializes in pre and postnatal yoga. I personally still get a little bit of anxiety when I see a pregnant lady in one of my classes, so it was really great to get the chance to cover this in depth with Mel. Now, if this is something that interests you and you live in Melbourne, you might want to check out Mel's 50-hour advanced pre- and postnatal yoga teacher training at Australian Yoga Academy from the 4th of May. We talk more about it in the episode, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. And again, I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. Alright, the theme song that you're listening to right now is Baby Robots by GoSoul and used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com and thank you Rob. Alright, thank you so, so much for listening. Aroha Nui, big, big love. <laughs>